On this week's Dose of Venture Pill, we have Quiver Quantitative's CEO and co-founder, James Kardatsky, as well as their head of sales, David Love. Yeah, I gotta say, it was a pleasure hosting James and David on the show. It's super impressive what they've built with QuiverQuant. If you haven't heard of them, QuiverQuant is an alternative data provider that allows retail investors to access actionable, digestible data that hasn't already been dissected by Wall Street. Yeah, anyone can go to QuiverQuant.com and gain access to a wide range of data sets, anything from Wall Street bets to CNBC stock picks to even politicians' trading activity. And they've already got some serious traction with over 350,000 subscribers and a handful of clients on the institutional side of things as well. Hot off their $2 million seed round, Quiver is changing the way that investors make data-driven decisions. Yeah, we're both super excited to share this conversation with James and David. Hope you guys enjoy, and here it is. You see here, kid? You gotta just go for it. Don't think about what comes after or what came before. You just gotta bend your knees, take a deep breath, and jump. This is Venture Pill. With your hosts, Brandon and Sam, we're here to prescribe you your weekly dose of startups and venture capital to keep you informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, we welcome on founder and CEO, James Kardatsky, as well as head of sales, David Love of Quiver Quantitative, a company providing alternative data for hedge funds and retail traders. Um, We welcome them on, close friends of ours, and really excited to hear about the story of Quiver and get into your entrepreneurial journeys and and what what, uh, the future holds for Quiver. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, well, I think we'll start with with James because you you founded the company along with your twin brother. Uh, Wanna hear that background story. How'd you come up with the idea what brought you to to really go all in on a startup coming right out of school? And then we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say I was first inspired to start Quiver during an internship that I had uh, during my senior year at UW-Madison. Um, at that internship, I was working at a hedge fund on Boston, and I got my first exposure to what's known as alternative data. Uh, alternative data is something that's gotten really big in the hedge fund industry in the last decade or so, where basically every hedge fund out there right now is scraping data from around the web and just collecting data where that, wherever they can find it and basically turning to untraditional data sources that really help them get a better idea of how stocks are going to perform or just like what's going on within the market or within a specific business in general. So, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry now. It's, it's gotten really big on Wall Street. But what I realized is that if you're a retail investor or you know if you don't have millions of dollars to spend acquiring these alternative data sets there just really aren't a lot of options out there if you want to get that same next generation investment data so uh you know after that internship when i went back to school i shortly after decided to start quiver quantitative along with my twin brother and really the idea behind this company is that we want to go out there source those same alternative data sets that are revolutionizing the way that wall street uh, is investing and make it so that it's also accessible for retail investors or really anyone else who's just like, you know, putting their money into the stock market. We want to make it so that everyone out there has the same set of tools available to them 
and there's not this big information gap between Wall Street and what your average person has access to. Yeah, I mean, I love that story and I love the mission behind QuiverQuant there. How do you go about um, sourcing this alternative data? Yeah, so right now the majority of our data sets are, I guess, sourced by ourselves. Like we do web scraping to collect a lot of these data sets where basically what will happen is we just write a script that uh, automatically I guess access is a website that's just publicly available at a certain time every day. It pulls all the information down from it and then processes it and, uh, you know, basically formats it in a way where we can use it to uh, extract insights or, you know, develop interesting features or create visualizations using the data. So really a lot of the work that we did really early on is just like writing the code to scrape these data sets from the web and then pull it into our database in a, in a way that we can use it. So a lot of our data comes from web scraping. We also do work with a few third-party data providers where, you know, there are certain data sets out there that are really useful, but they're just not publicly available. They can't be scraped. So in those cases, we'll, you know, partner with someone else who has access to that proprietary data and uh, they'll basically license us, uh, you know, that, that that data to republish and use on our site. Beautiful. Um, and And to dive a little bit deeper, into your business. Uh, maybe David, you can step in here if you feel inclined. How do you think about or how do you prioritize the breakdown between your retail side of the business and the side that serves hedge funds? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, for, for sure. So for us, uh, we serve both the retail investor as well as different hedge funds. Uh, the hedge funds buy our API and that way we delivered this alternative data sources and data sets to them. But then on top of that, at QuiverQuant.com, we have a dashboard for retail investors along with some premium products on that, in which we synthesize for the retail investor in an easy to interpret way, uh, how you can look at these data sets and maybe think of investment ideas. And so the way that we think about prioritizing is that we have shifted from just being someone that was focused on selling to hedge funds. Now we're really focused on delivering and providing value to the retail investor. However, our lead generation has remained similar for both ends, given that uh, we, we have a lot of traffic and so we've seen inbound leads both on the enterprise side as well as the retail side come through the dashboard. And that's, uh, that's the way that we kind of think about prioritizing between the two ends of the company. So quick follow-up to that is the retail side of things. Is that something that is especially trended upwards with the GameStop and, you know, wall street bets, all the recent kind of retail influx money that's been coming in since, you know, the start of COVID or 2020 time, or is that something that's been consistently, you know, a popular sector for alternative data? Yeah. So I'd say in the alternative data industry in general, uh, you know, generally there, there are not a lot of companies out there that service, retail investors. So just in terms of like, uh, you know, the industry as a whole, I think it's very nascent. It's still kind of early to identify whether there's broad trends in terms of like retail investors using alternative data more during certain regimes than others. But in terms of like our business, I'd say definitely, I think the GameStop situation that happened last February um, and just in general, I guess during COVID, I think a lot of people began picking up retail investing and, uh, you know, starting to be more active in how they manage their own money. Those are all tailwinds for our business, tailwinds for our industry. I think more and more retail investing is becoming very popular, I guess, just, you know, especially among like young adults, millennials, uh, you know, Gen Z people. That's where we see a large percent of our user base coming from. 
And, you know, definitely last February, like one of, one of our most popular data sets that we scrape is looking at discussion within the Wall Street Bets community and tracking what companies and what stocks retail investors are talking about on there. So obviously that was very relevant with GameStop and AMC and some of these other meme stocks being, uh, you know, just having crazy volatility partially due to that retail interest. So I'd, I'd say definitely for our business it was a big tailwind and we saw a lot of uh, inbound interest around those events. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's, that's pretty cool that, that you guys were able to ride that tailwind. But now I guess we've seen a pretty massive hit to the markets of recent in the past several months. Um, how does that affect the quiver quant business? Is it really volatility that feeds, you know, the need for alternative data? It doesn't really matter whether it's up or down or how do you guys think about that? What kinds of things are you seeing these days in, in these kinds of markets? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say like uh, just in terms of the value that our data provides, I think definitely it is most valuable during times of high volatility. Um, you know, obviously, if things aren't particularly volatile, uh, you know, I guess depending on your investment strategy as well. But in a lot of instances, less volatility might mean you don't need to spend as much time thinking about your investments, don't need to spend as much time thinking about where your money is. Um, whereas when there's more volatility and there's more clear winners and losers, that's when I think it makes a lot more sense, especially for retail investors to be spending serious time researching their investments, considering where they're putting their money and really making sure that they're well informed before they make any trading decisions. So from a value perspective, I think that times of high volatility are when, uh, you know, just in general investment research is most useful. Um, at the same time though, in terms of like the number of people who are actively retail trading, I think a lot of time market downturns maybe scare off retail investors. I think like generally when the market's doing very positive for a long period of time, it brings a lot of people in. Um, whereas when the market takes a downturn, uh, maybe it scares some people off. So I don't think it's necessarily rational. Like obviously, uh, you know, just cause the market's been down in the last month doesn't necessarily mean it's going to perform any worse now than, uh, you know, if it had just been rising for the last 10 months. But, um, at the same time, I think that's just kind of the mindset of a lot of people where they might be more reluctant to be, uh, actively investing their money during times when things are, are not looking so hot. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I could kind of see it being spun both ways in that with how the market has been going lately, people there's there's a mistrust in conventional sources of data, which makes them even more inclined to want to find an alternative, you know, data that other people don't have readily accessible. Um, I'm curious which data sets are most popular amongst, let's say, your retail investors. Like you mentioned, the Wall Street bets one, and that makes sense. But for instance, like my mom loves Jim Cramer's CNBC show. <laughs> Um, you know, is, is there different, different data sets that really seem to be more popular than others? Yeah. So I'd say it, it generally varies a lot, just depending on what people are interested in at a given point in time. Uh, a lot of our data sets can be somewhat topical where, you know, they may just be popular based on what's going on within the news or what people are having conversations about in their day-to-day -day life. Some of the data sets that have been pretty consistently popular on our site have been like you mentioned, the Wall Street Bets data, um, the data that we have on personal stock trading by members of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. Um, like you also mentioned, the data that we recently added tracking recommendations made by CNBC personalities has been fairly popular so far. Um, so, you know, we cover a pretty wide variety of topics. And like I said, some of these, these topics are really almost only relevant for a certain amount of time. Like, for example, during the last election cycle, we had a data set 
tracking the correlation between different stock prices, uh, price movement, and then the uh, election odds for different uh, people who are running for the U.S. president. So that data set was obviously like, you know, it's obviously not relevant anymore now that the election's over. But at the time when there were a lot of people who cared a lot about the election and when it was obviously something that was going to have a big impact on the stock market, that was the data set that was really popular and drove a lot of people out to our site. Uh, just in general, I think one of the cool things about these alternative data sets is that they can really link up topics that people might spend a lot of time thinking about, but that they might not be able to traditionally have been able to base their investment decisions off of where like you go up to pretty much anyone and you ask them what their opinion is on who's going to win the next election. A lot of people have really strong opinions about that. They may feel very confident in how the election is going to shake out, but they don't necessarily know how to invest off that information. So I think that part of what we do is like taking those topical issues that people have opinions on and giving them a way to start trading off of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like there's pop culture data, um, you know, like a data set that can apply to the times, uh, which is which is really cool. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, QuiverQuant's lifespan has been in a pretty unprecedented time of the market, whether it's the recent downturn or during COVID or again, the G uh, GameStop, AMC, that whole situ that whole fiasco. I'm curious, what are some of the earlier obstacles and challenges challenges that you faced while growing Quiver, and also what you're focused on moving forward? Yeah, um, I'd say it definitely has varied a lot just over the lifespan of the company. I'd say there's probably not been like any one you know huge challenge that we faced throughout. Just given the fact that we started the company basically at the very onset, or I guess shortly before. COVID really became, you know, this huge thing where everyone was in lockdown. Basically, the, the entire duration of our company, we've been almost fully remote as a team. So everyone on our team, you know, I'm based out here in Madison, Wisconsin. David's out in Austin, Texas. We have uh, other team members and, uh, you know, who have worked in New York, Florida, just like all over the place. So that's been, that's been a bit of a challenge, just like, you know, having everyone in a remote working environment, making sure everyone's on the same page, just like making sure we're all focused towards the goal and uh you know communicating clearly and things like that um but i guess like in a broader sense just one of the challenges of our business is that i think a lot of people aren't familiar right off the bat with what alternative data is given that it's something that's really only been used within the hedge fund industry for a long time and it hasn't really you know been broadly available to retail investors i think a big part of our job is not just bring these tools to retail investors but also doing uh, you know, the education component where we show people, okay, you know, there's this data that's being used by Wall Street. Here's why you should be paying attention to it too. Here's how you can use it to extract insights. And ultimately, here's how you can use this data to make better trading decisions. So really, we're not just like presenting the data to people and leaving it to them to do whatever they want with it. We really want to do a lot on the ed education front too, to make sure that people are well equipped to uh, just understand what we're doing and then also be able to make use of it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mentioned it earlier in the interview, but you guys are building a big audience um, on social media. And I'm wondering, maybe David, you can speak to this uh, a little bit. How are you guys leveraging and building that community aspect? Uh, I know it's a heavy focus on retail, but David, you've told me in the past that that's even led to inbound interest on the institutional side as well. So how do you continue to grow that community and leverage it? Yeah, I think one of the important things that we do is we're in constant communication with our users, whether it be on a quantitative basis, uh, you know, analyzing their 
activity on the website or what kind of data sets they like, or on a more qualitative basis where we're actually hopping on customer interviews with them. Um, I think that that is one of the ways that we're able to leverage our content. That, that kind of is something that I communicate with our content, uh, head of content, which is Thomas Welsh. He then goes ahead and creates different videos, either for Instagram or TikTok that are relevant day to day. Uh, and kind of having that communication allows us to put out content that, as you guys have seen on TikTok, ends up going viral uh, out of nowhere. And so one of the things that, that we're starting to take a more quantitative approach is analyze things like, you know, uh, different videos, the kind of content that each of the videos had and did they go viral or not? And seeing, doing some sort of data analysis on that to understand if there are certain topics that will allow us to have more virality versus others. Yeah, for sure. And that, yeah, that's a big, that's a big way to grow the business organically and to put your dollars to good use. I know you guys are just starting to put some money towards paid marketing and advertising, um, ramping that up. I guess that's a good segue into what we want to ask about a little bit more for the rest of the interview is the fundraising process. Uh, you guys recently raised a seed round over the winter. Tell us about how that experience was um, and what ultimately got you most excited about the investors you brought aboard and how they're partnering with you to grow this thing uh, to the next stage. Yeah. Yeah. So as you know, we uh, closed a seed round, I guess, raising $2 million back in February. So just a few months ago now. Uh, we kicked off that process probably November of last year. So it was a couple of months between, I guess, like about three months between when we really started talking with people seriously and when we ended up, I guess, closing out the round. Um, you know, in general, I, I'm just extremely happy with the people we were able to get on board. The round was led by Alice Ventures, which is a fund based out here in the Midwest. Um, someone who I just heard really great things about from a couple other portfolio company CEOs who had worked with them in the past. And, you know, also talking with a partner there, David Kerr, who we're working with, he was extremely helpful through the whole process. Uh, you know, after, I guess, like even after, I guess, even be, even before, you know, they had joined as investors, he was helpful with thinking about some things around the business and where we we're taking it. And after they're on board as investors, even more so as, a, as an advisor to our company now. Um, so it was great to get them on board. You know, we also had, uh, I guess, a couple of the ABG funds uh, get involved too. So Congress Ave and Bascom Ventures um, was great working with you guys and working with the team at Bascom. And then uh, M25, who's based out in Chicago and a few other funds around the Midwest as well. So yeah, I'd say in general, that whole process went fairly well. Um, you know, we basically raised the amount that we're looking to go out and raise. And, you know, especially now at this point, now that I've seen just in the last few weeks, I guess, how things have kind of taken a turn, it seems like in, um, you know, early stage tech, it's, it's great that we got around close to the time we did because it's obviously nice to have cash in the bank now and be able to just focus on building and not focus on raising anymore. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, what does runway look like and what are your kind of hiring plans and how are you planning to deploy that capital in the coming months? I, mu I must believe that that has shifted a little bit as things have changed in the markets. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I'd say in general, right off the bat, we're fairly, you know, planning to be fairly conservative. Um, initially, the goal is to have about a, a year and a half of runway. Um, I'd say like for us, even at the time we raised our last round, we were very close to break even just from a profitability standpoint. So, you know, through our API and through some of the premium products that we sell on the, on the retail side of things, we're already generating a fairly decent amount of revenue that's offsetting a lot of the costs we have with the business. Um, so like 
obviously our first priority is not running out of money at any point in the future. We don't really want to be uh, dependent on going out and raising another VC round, especially, you know, things, if it shakes out to be a long term, a long term downturn or like a recession, we don't want to be dependent on going out and raising additional money in order for the business to survive at any point. So we're definitely trying to be conservative, make sure that we have enough runway and, uh, you know, not go out and spend all of our money all at once and <laughs> require uh, another round in order to keep the business afloat or anything. But with that being said, like, you know, with this most recent raise, I think we're really excited to have the capital to go out there and start more aggressively pursuing some of the, the goals that we had in place for our business beforehand. Um, the first of those is just like adding some more uh, development talent to our team. So one of the big things that we're looking to do over the next few months is figure out how can we take this business that we've built, which, you know, initially on the retail side, at least was basically an entirely free experience where we have all these data sets that we're scraping and we provide visualizations and provide transparency and give people a lot of insights into that data for free. Um, we've built up that free component, but now the next step is we also want to build tools on top of that that show people not only what's going on within the data, but also the best way to start applying it to their own trading decisions. So we've started working on a suite of tools that we can build out where we can, first of all, start monetizing, but also give people uh, that ability to really figure out what the best way to use all this alternative data is. Um, so, you know, just a couple months ago, we launched the first of these products called Quiver Strategies. But over the next few months, I think we're really going to look to improve those products as much as possible and just, um, you know, make it so that we have everything that people need in order to understand these data sets and start applying it to their own trading. And like I said, the uh, capital that we raised, that's that's the one of the big priorities is getting software engineering talent on boards so that we can really do that as best as possible. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I love the prioritization on educating your consumers. Uh, you, you just started talking about talent and Sam and I have recently been talking a lot about the great resignation, which we're going through right now. I'm curious how you two plan on going about attract creatively attracting top talent. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say that one of the benefits of being, um, I guess, just like a B2C product in general and having a fairly large uh, user base of retail investors is that one of the first places we've really looked when drawing upon talent is people who are already aware of our brand or already users of our product. Um, you know, so like, for example, in our newsletters and on our social media feeds, when we have new roles that open up, we're able to share them there, which, um, you know, it makes it a lot easier when someone's already aware of you and maybe they're already a fan of your product, already familiar with what you do. Um, but also we've just found that, I guess, like in general, there are a lot of people who use our platform who have background in some of the skills that we need. And um, even, I guess, just within like my own network and within David's network, we found some really talented people who have been able to join our team and start contributing a lot right away. And I think it, it always helps to, you know, offer the flexibility of uh, being a small startup, being able to work remotely. Uh, and then that gives an upside to this great resignation movement that we're kind of seeing, uh, given, you know, we're able to have more freedoms as an employee uh, than maybe you would at a big corporation. And that allows you to have a better quality of life or whatever. But that, that's one of the things that we're able to leverage being so small right now that we don't really run into those problems that a bigger corporation would. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Being able to retain that startup kind of small flexibility is, is certainly imperative. And it's really, I mean, it's remarkable just how some companies are going about trying to attract talent. Like it's kind of unprecedented, at least from my limited experience of working. Um, I'm curious, you two, as relatively a young founding team, 
what are some of the advantages and disadvantages? Like, I imagine you have some extra gravity towards Gen Z and millennials, just being that that's, you know, your peers. But I'm also curious, you know, the dynamic with some older venture capital firms. I'd love to hear just what you two make of that. Yeah, so I'd say one of the biggest advantages for me, at least, and I feel like in being a you know, young uh, founder myself, is I feel like I'm able to better connect with a lot of the retail investors that we're serving. Uh, in particular, I guess the communities that we've been targeting, like, you know, I'd say a big portion of our user base right now is millennial or Gen Z. And I think that a lot of the content marketing that we've done and a lot of product development that we've done has really been built with those communities in mind, where we're not coming at it. Uh, you know, with the mindset of someone who's worked in Wall Street for several decades, we're not coming at it with the mindset of someone who's worked in data science for several decades. We're really coming at it with, uh, you know, the mindset of young investors ourselves who are pretty familiar with what sort of topics your average young investor cares about and also what the best way to present that information where they get excited by it, they relate to it, and they can actually understand and then utilize the information we're presenting to them. So like I touched on earlier, I think that a big part of what we're doing is not just collecting all this data and, you know, getting it and getting it in front of people. It's also presenting it in a way where they can interpret it and feel comfortable with the data that we're presenting. So I think that, um, you know, the fact that we're relatively young ourselves and relatively, uh, you know, I guess like new in terms of, I guess, being new entrants to the space of uh, quantitative finance and like, um, you know, alternative data. I think we really have had a fresh mindset just in terms of how this data can be used and what the best way to present it to people is. I think that one of the, uh, that gives us, you know, an advantage in the sense that we're, we're quick to iterate. Uh, when, when we get a new idea, we're quick to throw it in an MVP on a dashboard quickly and, you know, put it out there for users to see if, if that's something that they want or not. Whereas I think that maybe if you were a little bit older, you'd be a little more cautious, a little more maybe hesitant to, to have that kind of speed. I think that in, in, in terms of for us, that gives us an advantage because users are quick to tell us yes or no, whether it's something that they'll pay for or not. And that allows us to develop high quality products for them. That they're willing to pay at the price that they said. Yeah, definitely. Um, just a quick follow up there that came to mind. Uh, I imagine you guys probably both have some mentors or even role models you, you necessarily haven't connected with before in the startup space. So I'm curious if you guys have any like role models that you strive to be like, whether it's like the Zuckerbergs out there who started, you know, their companies out of college. And do you have anybody in mind there that, that motivates you to dream big? And, and I guess a follow up to that is, do you have any big aspirations for where you could take Quiver? Yeah, I'd say just in general, I've had like dozens, if not hundreds of people who have been like really strong mentors for me personally, throughout the lifespan of the business, like, you know, really early on, I guess, like our earliest investors, I think we're all not only very supportive of us back when, you know, I was just like getting the business off the ground, but also really helpful just in terms of thinking about even the most basic things like, you know, how to incorporate a business, like how to go about hiring your first employees, uh, just like the very basics of getting the business started. Um, uh, you know, our first investor was the uh, DF Fund of Lacrosse based out here in Wisconsin. Um, you know, they put money into the business before anyone else did. They were, I'd say, the, the ones who helped us think about those really earliest steps. Um, but then after that, you know, like our current board, for example, uh, just filled with great people who have been super helpful in terms of making connections, um, you know, helping us think about how to sell to professionals within the space, like how to package our products in a way where uh, it's really competitive with what else is out there. 
And then even on like the B2C side, thinking about how can we, uh, you know, develop our products in the best way to serve this mass retail market. So I, I don't think I could identify like one person who I've like, you know, tried to model my own career, like model the business after, but uh, there's, there's been dozens of people who have been super helpful, you know, often with no financial incentive, like no, you know, no reason to do it other than just like them being great people who have been willing to offer some help. Yeah, it's been great to have that word of mouth uh, because obviously people are excited about the product and they're, they're, they're willing to take our call. But I think that after that, I think one of the things or one of the qualities that James and I both have, uh, we're not we're not here to be correct. You know, we're here to learn. And we're here to iterate quickly and make sure that we deliver a good product. We're not here to, uh, you know, like obsessed with our pride and saying that we're correct. And that's what we've heard back from mentors and our network. People, our mentors recommend us to other mentors because they're able, we're able to have these conversations with them and they see us listening and taking their, their, their advice. And that's, I think, a quality that, that would be very important for anybody to have they're thinking about getting into the startup business. And now uh, move us down the timeline here a little bit. How do you guys see, what, what's the vision for the next five to 10 years for QuiverQuant or professionally? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess just to map out the whole timeline, we started the company back in February of 2020. Um, I guess the API we launched in December of 2020. So at this point, you know, now that we've had a couple of years of developing both of those products, we grew the the web platform to about 350,000 registered users at this point. Um, the API right now, we're working with about a dozen different enterprises and about a dozen different hedge funds who are getting access to our data feeds. Um, you know, doing back testing or building their own products on top of them. Um, so that's where we're at right now. But I think just in terms of the future, I think that one of the big things for us is that we don't just want to be an alternative data provider. Uh, you know, first of all, there are dozens of other alternative data providers out there. While we may be one of the few, if not one of the only ones who are really serving the retail market, I think that in general, there's a lot more work to be done on top of just you know, providing alternative data to people. Like, I think what we want to do is we want to be the number one destination that retail investors go to whenever they want to do investment research and whenever they want to be as informed as possible about an investment decision before they're going to make it. So that means like not just alternative data, even though that was the first priority for us, it means that we eventually want to be bringing in uh, traditional financial data sets to our platform as well, bringing in charting tools, bringing in like everything that people could need to be, you know, have all the data and all the information they need to make their trading decisions. So over the next few months, that's one of the big things that we're looking to do is really supplement our existing offerings, uh, bring on a lot of those traditional data sources and make sure that people don't need to be switching between Quiver and Yahoo Finance or switching between Quiver and TradingView. They just can have everything that they need in one spot and that's in the Quiver platform. So in terms of the, the package for retail investors, I think that's really our priority is that we want to, uh, you know, be able to completely bridge that information gap between retail investors and Wall Street and make sure that retail investors can get access to everything that uh, the professionals have access to when it comes to making their trading decisions. That's awesome. Yeah, well, we'll be rooting for you guys, uh, as you know, obviously, and we're super excited to see you guys grow. And to wrap up the episode, we always like to ask our guests what advice would you give to the pilgrims out there? That's what we call our listeners, the venture pilgrims. What advice would you have to folks listening? Maybe they're younger or maybe they just are new to the venture and startup space. How do they get involved? How do they join a startup like yours? Maybe they start one or what's your just advice to get into the, the scene uh, more broadly? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'd say, I guess, like, personally, I think one of the things that was most helpful for me just when I was getting the business off the ground was being able to seek out investors and get their feedback on the business. Like, one of the big benefits, I think, with talking to early stage investors in general is that, uh, you know, people like you guys have seen, like, hundreds and hundreds of startups, like, I'm sure you have just like, that's your full-time job is like evaluating early stage companies and not just working within one, but being able to see, you know, a really wide spectrum of different companies across the board and how they grow and which ones succeed and which ones fail. And not only that, but also being really tied into the ecosystem of founders in an area and, you know, other investors in the area. So one of the things that was most helpful for, for me really early on getting Quiver off the ground was talking with some of the investors around the state of Wisconsin getting their feedback on our business. And then also, you know, with that, they brought a whole new set of knowledge and a whole new set of skills that as a first time founder was just like completely outside my wheelhouse and was really instrumental with thinking about how to turn something that was initially just like a hobby, just a side project into um, something that could be a venture backed business. So for me, I'd, I'd say it's like probably the biggest piece of advice is just seek out people who have a lot of background and depth in the startup space and uh, get them to take a look at your company. I, I can't agree more with James. You know, don't be don't be scared to reach out. Don't be scared to be persistent, uh, and definitely pull yourself out there as much as you can. You know, the the uh, the more times I, I like to think of of just the, the amount of revisions we've done on things like pitch decks, right? And so I, I, the amount of the more you can get in front of investors, in front of early stage VCs, people that can give you really good feedback to mold your business. If you put yourself out there, uh, you're going to grow really quickly. You're going to learn really quickly. As we as we continue to wrap up here, another question we we love to ask our our guests is, what are a couple startups maybe off the grid, out of the QuiverQuant industry that you two are following or that you like? Um, we're you know we always love hearing about new startups. Yeah, yeah. I guess this isn't really entirely out of our industry, you know, given that it's another fintech company. But we've worked in the past with a company called Alpaca. Um, and I think just in general, their team and, you know, what I know about their product is it's, uh, it's really cool what they're working on. Uh, basically what they've been developing is almost like the backbone for, you know, brokerages or anyone who's looking to execute trades on, uh, you know, I guess their user's behalf. And they just have a really cool API that they've built out that allows you to do some pretty interesting things in terms of, uh, you know, basically bringing that brokerage functionality into, uh, your own product. So. They've been a great team to work with and talk with. I don't know if you have any, um, I guess, any other thoughts, David, on other startups that you admire and try to work with. Um, I th- I'm excited right now. Uh, yeah, we can say it now. So, so there's this company called called uh, Market Reader that we've recently uh, started working with. Uh, I'm kind of excited for the potential. They what they do is they, they provide you alerts on on the changes in volatility in different stocks prices by looking at things like option price volatility. Uh, and so we're kind of excited uh, how we might be able to work with them, given our things like the Wall Street bet sentiment and maybe mixing the two together. Uh, but there, that, that's a new startup that, that was founded pretty recently that, that you might you might want to keep your eye out for. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That's I'm I'm definitely intrigued by the idea there. For sure. Well, I, I think that pretty much wraps up the episode. Before we let you guys go, uh, obviously want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how can they connect with you if they're interested in learning more about the company or where can they find Quiver on social media? What's the best, yeah, what's the best way for people to find you guys? Yeah, so I guess as a company, we're on, you know, 
basically all the social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, if you search Quiver Quantitative, you should be able to find us. Um, you can also go to quiverquant.com and create a free account to start trying out our platform. Um, you'll also receive our newsletter if you create an account on there. Um, and then just personally, you know, you can reach out to me at james at quiverquant.com if you want to shoot me an email with any uh, other questions you might have or if you'd like to connect. Um, and I guess, David, you can reach him at david at quiverquant.com as well. We're both always happy to talk. Yeah, always happy to have any any discussions. Uh, I'm kind of a nerd that way. I love just talking about this. We can go for days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll be sure to spread the word and really excited to see you guys grow this company. Hopefully we're checking in in a year or so and, you know, we're, we're announcing the Series A or something like that. So really excited for you guys, uh, bullish where you guys are going. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. This was an awesome discussion. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam. I'm Brandon. And this is Venture Pill. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. Signing off. She told me that she only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little low-key, okie-dokie. That's alright, but what?